Rocky Peak, it's so good to be with you. And again, I just want to welcome you again as we celebrate uh, Memorial Day weekend together. And again, another shout out to those of you who have served. You have someone in the service serving right now. We just appreciate your service and what you have done to keep our country free. So thank you for that. But we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. If, I, if we had a chance to meet, my name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church at Rocky Peak. And hopefully you've downloaded one of the messages uh, note sheets. I don't know if you noticed this week, but we actually have two different uh, message note sheets. Now, you have it in the traditional format that we've used over the years, but we've also created a new one. This is an eight and a half by 11. That was one of you uh, recommended that that would be helpful during this time, and so we created that. So whatever one works best for you, we're just uh, encourage you to, to download that, and then we're going to be uh, able to jump in together and pursue the Lord together. So it's so good to be here. Let's pray, and then uh, let's jump in. So Father, we're just so thankful to be here on this Memorial Day weekend, and what a crazy year it is, unlike any other Memorial Day weekend. So many of us normally would be traveling or going away, and instead we're here at home, and so we just thank you that we can be here together. It's your church uh, gathered in this place, in this space, digital space, uh, whether it's around the world, whether it's here in California locally or one of the states. Father, we're just so thankful for what you're doing in our lives in the midst of this crazy time, how you're revealing that you are the resurrected king, the one who is speaking and leading and guiding us day by day. And once again, Lord, we look to you for your guidance right now. We just say that we have no teacher except one. You are a teacher. We look to you for your leadership, your guidance, and the flow of your Holy Spirit as we enter into your presence now to celebrate your coming. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today on a Wednesday night, and uh, this is what they do every Wednesday night. Uh, they, they log on they, to, their, uh, to Zoom, and this is their, their weekly life group. And so uh, they start coming in slowly about 6.45, one after another. You know how it works if you're in a life group. And finally, about 7 o'clock, the, the leader kicks off the meeting. And uh, they have an amazing time. They start with some worship, you know, do that shared screen thing and bring in a, a YouTube video and they do some shared worship. And then they, they come back and the leader introduces the, 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 the topic for, for the day. And then uh, he says he wants to break into small groups. And so they use the breakout room feature in Zoom. And I'm sure many of you have done this. And so they break into small groups the first 15, 20 minutes to discuss the first part of the study. Then they come back, do some debriefing, and jump into the rest of the study like they do every week, have an amazing discussion, really engaged. Uh, they're growing together. They're hungry to learn. Um, and then finally, they end up with some prayer, some really passionate prayer. And finally, they, they uh, end the meeting right on time, right about 9 o'clock. But then the leader does something that is not normal for this group, that he invites everyone to stay. He says, if you need to go, I understand that. If you're Zoomed out, I get that. He said, but I, I'd like to have a discussion. If you'd like to say it's completely voluntary, I'd like to have a discussion about COVID. Then if you stay, here's the topic on the table. I want to discuss as a group what you think about the, the state of California and the way they're handling this current situation. Do you think that the restrictions are imposing are wise, good, very prudent? Are you in approval of that? Or do you think that they're overreaching their authority, maybe a bit even draconian. Want to have a discussion. So if you want to stay, uh, you're welcome to stay. And of course, most did. 
And so the discussion kicked off and it went on for two hours. Well, today we are continuing the series that we've been in uh, the last uh, five or six weeks that's called The Power of the Resurrection, Hope in Times of Crisis. And today we're gonna continue that, that journey by tackling a very important topic. And, and the topic is as we move into kind of a next phase of this coronavirus crisis, as uh, restrictions begin to loosen, um, what does it look like to follow Jesus? What does it look like to be the church of Jesus and to follow him during this next phase? And specifically, uh, what does it look like for us as a church here at Rocky Peak in terms of when do we reopen our campus and restart our weekend services? Now, I don't know if you've been following the news, but if you have, you may know this, that there's a, a group of pastors or group of churches, about 1,000, maybe 1,500, and to put that in context, uh, there's about 22,000 houses of worship in California, but they started announcing a few weeks ago that come the last weekend of May, uh, Pentecost Sunday, that uh, whether the government uh, said it was okay or not, that they were gonna begin to meet. T time has come that they're beginning to meet. And so as you might imagine, uh, that we began to receive some calls, not a lot, but a few calls, some emails. Hey, what is Rocky Peak's plan? And so this week, I sent out just a short video to share with you that we would not be opening on Pentecost uh, Sunday. And I wanna share with you a little bit of the rationale kind of behind that today, but it's really interesting. Uh, when this was first coming up, uh, I really felt like, uh, hey, I needed to say something. We're beginning to get questions, wanting to have clarity for our church. And so I began thinking about maybe putting together a short video. Here's what we're doing. Here's why. But then last Friday, not this most recent fr uh, Friday, but a week ago Friday, uh, I was out uh, hiking. And it was one of those times where I just felt like God began to download a, a, a wide series of thoughts uh, to me, not only about this decision of when do we reopen our campus on the weekends, but, but more than that, what does it look like to listen and follow Jesus as a church as we move into this new era, uh, kind of the next phase of this crisis that we're in? And so I wanna share that with you today. And I wanna share with you five steps that I believe that we need to take as a church as we continue to listen, follow Jesus into this new era. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called Christ, uh, Christ Church in COVID, the next steps. And so if you have your note sheet, let's jump in. Uh, the first step, and I'm gonna share these as steps, but you could think of them as guidelines, uh, kind of uh, uh, guardrails to make decisions as we move forward. I'm gonna call them steps, uh, but they're not necessarily all in order, or you always take them exactly in the right uh, same sequence. But the first step is that as a church, I, I believe that our first step is to choose wisdom. You know, as followers of Jesus, we're called to live lives of wisdom. We, we follow the one who is wisdom incarnate. You remember Jesus, one of the most famous short stories he ever told was the parable about the wise man who built his house upon the rock and the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. So as followers of Jesus, we're called to live lives of wisdom. 
And one of my favorite books in the Bible is the book of Proverbs. And if you've ever studied Proverbs, you know this, that that Proverbs is all about the path of wisdom, that the path to the good life leads through the door of wisdom. And so we need to make it our top priority in life to seek wisdom. For example, one of my favorite passages in Proverbs is in Proverbs chapter four. It's there in your note sheet. And the, the father is counseling his son And he says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. Like the first step to becoming a wise person, the first step to wisdom is to make it your top priority to get wisdom. And he says, though it costs all you have, get understanding. It's more important, it's more valuable than anything else. And then a few verses on, he goes on, hold on to instruction, do not let it go, guard it well, for it is your life. And so as we move into the future, as we make decisions like when do we reopen our campus? When do we begin to re-engage in our life groups? When do we begin to do global ministry trips? When do we begin to do youth camps? When do we begin to open up other ministries? That the first step we always wanna take is we wanna ask the question, what is the wise thing to do? Now, here's the thing that when it comes to this coronavirus, I think almost everyone, there may be some conspiracy theorists who don't believe this one, but, but I think that almost everyone, most of us would agree that this is a dangerous virus. Now we may disagree on how dangerous it is, and we may disagree on the best way to handle this, uh, and that's very legitimate, but I think we'd all agree this is dangerous. Uh, I was looking up today, and as of today, just just shy of 100,000 people have already died in our country of us, and obviously we're still sort of at the beginning of this journey, right? So uh, I think we'd all agree to that. And I think that we would all, all agree that therefore it's so important as we move forward, as we ask questions like, uh, Hey, when do we reopen our campus? When do we bring our children back? When do we send our youth away? When does Celebrate Recovery return? Like when we start asking these questions, we need to, to, uh, we need to say what is the wise thing to do? Because we're dealing with a very serious situation and a very dangerous virus. Uh, let me give you an example. Lynn and I lead, uh, we co-lead, a, uh, a life group that's made up of uh, single adults aged 25 to 35. It's actually a big group. We have 28 people in our group. And uh, in this group, in just our little group, that we have three people who have gotten the COVID virus and gotten very sick. Uh, and it's interesting how it happened. Uh, the, the first person to get this, and as far as I know, is the first person at Rocky Peak, but the first person to get the virus, uh, she, she, she's a nurse and she got it at work from a patient, from catch this, a patient that had not been diagnosed as having COVID. And so when she was exposed, she didn't know that she was exposed, and as is often the case, it was several days before she had any symptoms. And so that weekend, a couple other people from our life group went and spent the day with her, and that next week, they all came down with COVID. Now, here's the thing, that fortunately, they've all recovered. 
but obviously it was a rough road. They got very sick. Uh, one, of the, uh, one of the young women had a, a fever of 102.9. Just uh, the, the chills, the shakes, the, uh, the sweats, right? One of the young men passed out one day uh, from it. And so fortunately, they've all recovered, but of course, they were, they're young and they're strong, and we're just so thankful for that they're okay. But I think it just illustrates the point that this is a serious situation. This is a very real disease. If you haven't uh, experienced up close and personal with people that you know, it may seem out there, but it's a very real thing. And so as a church, we want to take this very seriously. And the last thing we want to do is to invite you back and create a space that becomes sort of a Petri dish for COVID and that someone here at Rocky Peak is harmed or put in harm's way because we have not been wise. It's really interesting. In the book of Proverbs, you know, we talked about Proverbs earlier, but uh, in the book of Proverbs, there's a, there's a, a great proverb, in fact, it's so good that it's given twice, uh, identical form in chapter 22 and 27. But I put it there on your note sheet. And it says the prudent, and of course, if you're not familiar with Proverbs, that's sort of the, one of the words for the wise person. The prudent sees danger and what? They take refuge. It says, but the simple, which is Proverbs' way of saying sort of the foolish person or the person who um, just doesn't really think of consequences, doesn't really think through their life's choices. But the simple keep going and pay the penalty. It's been interesting because throughout this crisis, of course, I've had many conversations with many different people over the last couple of months. And one of the things that I've often heard is someone says, well, we don't want to live in fear. And I 100% agree. You may remember back early in this series, or early in the very first series, I talked about this, that, that uh, 365 times in the Bible says, do not fear. We are, we are not called to live in fear. But what I want you to catch is the person who sees danger and takes refuge is not living in fear, they're living in wisdom. And so as we go through this crisis, as we make these decisions, we just want to make wise decisions. That's step number one. It's interesting this last week, uh, one of our elders sent me an article from about a church in Georgia. And this church made the decision back at the end of April to open up and start having their weekend services again, which was legal at that time in Georgia. And they took all the precautions. Like, I don't know if you've studied this, but states that are opening up, like Tennessee, states like Texas, they all have very stringent social distancing uh, policies, including, you know, six feet, uh, six feet from anyone else at church. Tennessee won't even let you have kids in church or uh, elderly in church. And so it's very strict. And yet, in spite of the fact that this church in Georgia followed that, that two weeks later, they had to shut down because several families have, had, uh, had become infected as they had started coming back to church. So as we move to the future, this is step number one that we want to be wise, we want to be prudent, and whatever we do and whenever we open up, we wanna make wise choices because our number one concern is your safety, the safety of your friends, the safety uh, of our church. We want to protect the flock, right? That's number one. Now, let's talk about number two. 
The second step is to seek first the kingdom. Now, of course, this is something that Jesus talked about. In Matthew 6, 33, he talks to his followers. He said, as my follower, your top priority in life, the first thing you're to seek, to pursue, is the kingdom of God. Uh, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Now, uh, what Jesus is saying, as followers of Jesus, we always have to have kingdom lenses on. And we always need to be asking whatever the situation we're in, whatever season of life, whatever station of life, how do I advance the kingdom at this time, at this place in my life? And the New Testament gives us a lot of helpful advice on exactly how to do that. And one of the most frequent things it says is that that in order to seek first the kingdom and advance the movement of Jesus, that you need to live a life that is worthy of respect, that wins the respect of the outsider. It's one of the most important ways that we advance the kingdom. So for example, when Paul writes a letter to his young colleague uh, uh, Titus, who's like, uh, he's a pastor that that, uh, Paul has mentored, and Paul has left Titus uh, on the island of Crete to oversee the churches there. And so he writes this letter, and in Titus chapter two, he says, hey, Titus, I want you to address the different groups of people in your church, the older men, the older women, the younger men, the younger women, and slaves. And he said, because it's so important that they live a life that is worthy of respect and help advance the gospel there on the island of Crete. And so in chapter two, it's a fairly long passage. I put it on your note sheet. We're not gonna go by it blow by blow. I'm not gonna break it all down. I just want you to see the big picture truth that Paul comes back to three times. So he says, Titus, teach the older men to be temperate, to be worthy of respect, to be self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Remember, the whole point of this is live your life in such a way it advances the gospel the movement of Jesus. So he starts with older men. And then he, turns, he speaks to the older women. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Now he's gonna move to the younger women. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and be subject to their husbands. And then catch this, here's the reason. Here's the reason why the older men need to be like they are, why the older women need to be like that, why the younger women need to be like this. He says, so that, so that no one can malign the word of God. In other words, the gospel is just breaking in to the island of Crete. These are the first believers. He says, people are gonna be watching your life. It's how you live that's gonna influence the way they think about Jesus and his message. They're gonna look at your life and say, hey, is that a life that wins my respect? Is that a life that is attractive? Does that draw me towards this message of Jesus? So he says, I want you to live your life in such a way that no one maligns the word of God. Now, that's the first of three times he's gonna say the same thing. So let's go on. He says, similarly, encourage the younger men. So we've talked about older men, older women, younger women. Now we're gonna talk about the younger men. And catch this, Titus himself is a younger man. You'll see that. So similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled 
And then he said, in everything, set them an example, talking to Titus, set them an example of what a younger man should be by doing what's good. In your teaching, show integrity, show seriousness, show soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. And catch this, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. You see that? Hey, live this life that wins respect so that as people look on, they may criticize certain things, but there's just really nothing they can wrap their hands around because your lives are just so worthy of respect. And then finally, he's gonna talk to slaves. And he says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Now, why? Why should slaves act like that? He says, so that in every way, they'll make the teaching about God our Savior what? Right, attractive. Three times in this passage, he says, hey, Talk to the older men. This is how they need to live. Talk to the older women. This is how they need to live. Talk to the younger, uh, the younger men. Talk to the younger, talk to the slaves. But the point is always the same. I want you to seek first the kingdom wherever you are, your station of life, your season of life. Live a life that wins the respect of outsiders because people are watching you and they're making up their mind about Jesus by the quality of life he produces in you. And so in this season, the season where our nation is so split, the question is, how can we as followers of Jesus, how can we as a church of Jesus at Rocky Peak, how can we advance the gospel? How can we live a life that's worthy of respect? Now here's the thing. Just five verses later, he wraps up chapter two, and at the beginning of chapter three, he says, now let me talk to, to everyone. I've talked to older men, I've talked to the, the, the older women, I've talked to younger Men, younger women, I've talked to slaves, but here's something you all need to do to advance the gospel. And in chapter three and verse one, he says, remind the people to be subject to rulers. He's talking about the governmental authorities of the Roman Empire. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to them, and to be ready to do whatever is good. And then catch this, to slander no one. I want you to think in light of this current cultural crisis. I want you to think in terms of your Facebook page, right? To slander no one, not the president, not the governor, not the mayor, right? To slander no one, which by the way, it's fine to disagree. We're talking about slander, right? To, to slander no one, to be peaceable, to be considerate, and catch this, always to be gentle towards everyone. He says, this is how you advance the gospel. Now, this is not an isolated teaching in the New Testament. This teaching about how to respond to the authorities is consistent and it's frequent. Like for example, in 1 Peter, a different apostle, Peter writes, and he says, there in your notes, you show proper respect to everyone. Catch that. And once again, ground rule, show proper respect to everyone. But love the family of believers, fear God, and then catches, 
honor the emperor. Now, I want you to think about that. When Paul wrote, I mean, when Peter wrote this, the emperor was one of the most godless and infamous emperors of all time. Within a few years, he would be blaming Christians for burning down Rome. He would be arresting them, sewing them up in skins of animals, and turning them loose to be destroyed, eaten alive in the arenas by lions. He'd be dipping Christians into oil and then lighting them on fire for his feasts. You know his name, one of the most famous, infamous names. His name was the Emperor Nero. That's who was emperor when Peter wrote these words. And I want you to think about that. As followers of Jesus, consistently we're taught that one of the ways that we, we live lives that win the respect of outsiders is to honor our elected leaders. Not just when we agree with them, but when we disagree with them. So the question is, for us as followers of Jesus, as we enter this new season, and for us as a church, what does it look like to advance the gospel during this time? How do we do that? And I don't know about you, but my hunch would be, you may disagree, that for us to defy our government and to say, hey, come hell or high water, we're opening our doors, um, and we're not practicing social distancing um, because we think God's going to protect us, something like that, that this is not going to win the respect of outsiders. That there will be a few that will cheer for defying the government, but that the vast majority would look and say, hey, what are these crazy Christians doing? They're not being wise, they're not being careful. They're just uh, self-absorbed. They just want to do what they're going to do. And I think it would really push back the advance of the gospel. Now, for some of you might be saying, hey, but isn't there a time? Isn't there a time and a place we have to stand up to our government and say, this far and no more we take a stance? Wouldn't God honor that? And I would say, absolutely. You see times throughout the Bible when God's people are called to take a stand against governmental uh, tyranny. For example, um, in the Old Testament, when the nation of Israel was in slavery in Egypt, the order came down from Pharaoh to the Hebrew midwives that they were to uh, practice infanticide, that they were to slaughter every male child, Israeli child that was born. And the midwives feared God more than they feared Pharaoh. And they made up this crazy story about how vigorous the Israelite women were and they gave birth before he could get there. And God blessed them for that. They defied authority. Uh, I think of when Israel was taken into captivity uh, and, and went into the exile in Babylon. And I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were Jewish uh, royalty, uh, kind of high-level uh, uh, Jewish royalty that were taken into service of Babylon and rose in power there. And they served this wicked, wicked pagan king. They honored him, but they drew a line when the day came and he said, you have to bow down and worship the golden statue. And they said, hey, 
You can throw us into the, the fiery furnace. You can do whatever you want, but we're not, we're not bowing down and worshiping that statue. I think of Daniel, who was called in and, and he, was, uh, he was told that you're not allowed to pray anymore for 30 days to anyone but the king of the Medes and Persian. And David, though he's very humble and honored the king the way he did it, he boldly went home, opened the windows, and three times a day he prayed. Right? He defied. I think of the current series we're in, the power of the resurrection. We've been studying the early church. I think of Peter and John when they were brought in and brought before the same religious leaders that had, were responsible for the death of Jesus just months before. And they were told, you have to stop preaching the resurrection of Jesus and stop blaming us for it. And Peter and John said, hey, you'll have to decide which, what you think you would do. But for us, we have to obey God and not Men. And so, yes, there are times when we are called to take a stand. But catch this. They are never over secondary governmental policy like coronavirus and how best to respond. They're over core moral issues, life and death when the, the Pharaoh orders you to kill babies, right? They're over core worship is, issues, calling you to uh, worship another god. You know, Rocky Peak, I've told you this before, but I, I believe it's very likely the day that will come, we will have to defy government authority here. There may come a day when the government tells us you can no longer teach bibl orthodox biblical doctrine about uh, human sexuality. And if you do, we will arrest you or we will shut you down or we will take away your tax exemption. And if that happens, we will respectfully say, we want to honor you, but we have to obey God and not men. But that time is not now, and this is not the issue. Right now, we are called to honor our leaders. The Bible is consistent, it is thorough, and this is how we advance the gospel. Not by defying governmental leadership, and say, we're going to open our church doors and we're going to disregard social distancing. No, we say that we will follow your leadership as long as it's somewhat reasonable, which I think this really is. And we will do our best to honor the leadership that God has put over our country. Do you know that in Romans 13, it's not there on your note sheet. It says that the person that rejects the governmental leadership rejects God's leadership in their life. And that is a serious, serious thing to consider. All right? So, number two, we want to seek first the kingdom. How do we best advance the gospel? And I really believe that in this, this time, we have to use wisdom and show discretion that shows the world that followers of Jesus are wise, they're making good decisions, and they really care about the common good of our community. Number three, Number three, we need to love one another. Now you say, well, aren't we always supposed to do that? I mean, isn't that just kind of basic Jesus 101? And of course it is. But I want to talk about a specific application. That right now in the church of Jesus, there's going to be difference of opinion about how best to seek first the kingdom, right? Right? There's going to be difference of opinion within the Christian community of how the government is handling this and whether we support that or we don't, whether we agree or we don't. And that, that uh, disagreement's going to be uh, at a corporate level, like the stand that Rocky Peak takes will be different from another church, for example. But it happened 
It'll happen in our families. It'll happen in our life groups. We're gonna have differences of opinion. And this should not surprise us. The issues are complex. Uh, the issues are confusing, right? The issues are complicated and the stakes are high. And so it shouldn't surprise us that people who love Jesus and love his word will disagree on this. But here's what the New Testament teaches. That as followers of Jesus, when it comes to a primary issue of faith, something that's very clear and very important. We've talked about this before. The authority of scripture who Jesus is, who God is, how our relationship with God works, how the path of salvation works, the core moral code of the New Testament, the core sexual code of the New Testament. These are primary issues that are said over and over again. And in these areas, the Bible is super clear, you never compromise on primary issues. But the, the New Testament is so clear that there are many other issues that are also important. They're just not as important. They're not as clear. They're issues that Christians down throughout the ages have disagreed on. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's the second coming of Jesus. Maybe it's women in ministry. Maybe it's spiritual gifts. And these are secondary issues. They're important issues. But what the New Testament says is in these areas of secondary importance, that it is more important for us to love and accept one another, catch this, even when we think our brother or sister is wrong, than it is to be right on every issue. Now, in the early church, the issue was uh, the, some of the issues that they often wrestled with, and this makes sense, coming Jewish background, pagan background, some of the issues that they would wrestle a bit is like, when is the right date, the best day to worship? Should we worship on the Sabbath, like the Old Testament teaches, or can we worship on different days? Should we celebrate all the high, holy uh, Jewish holidays? Is those still in effect? Um, what about eating? Should we, can we eat kosher? We need to eat kosher still. Can we eat meat sacrificed to idols? These were some of the hot topics, and it would really divide people because both sides have their biblical arguments. And so they would often resort to name calling, condemning one another, looking down their nose, you're liberal, you're conservative. Like this is what would happen. Now the Apostle Paul in Romans 14 and 15, and this week we'll be studying this in our life group study, but the Apostle Paul says, hey, there is a right or wrong in these issues. As followers of Jesus, we do have freedom. We have freedom to worship when we want. We have freedom to eat what we want. But he said, hey, but here's the thing. In these secondary areas, it is more important that you love and accept one another even if you think the other person's wrong than it is that you're right on every issue. And he goes on to say, this is actually a test of your spiritual maturity. He says, one of, the, one of the tests of your spiritual maturity is are you able to love and accept someone you disagree with on these secondary issues? And so, for example, there in your note sheet, he kind of sums up his teaching in chapter 15. And he says, we who are strong, and in context, he's talking about strong in faith, uh, spiritually strong, more clear-sighted. Uh, and in the context here, that the strong person is the one is, who realizes the freedom they have in Christ. He says, we who are strong 
ought to bear with the what? Catch this. The failings of the weak. He says, yes, they're wrong. Yes, they're wrong. He says, but the mark of the strong person is to bear with the, the failings of the weak. And he says, and not to please ourselves, right? In other words, as followers of Jesus, we should be willing to give up our rights. In that passage, Paul goes on to say, for example, if you're with a, a brother or sister who thinks it's, it's wrong to, to eat certain foods, it's like morally wrong, you might know that you're right, that you have that freedom, but he says that what love does is love gives up their rights. Love says, okay, I won't eat that when I'm with you. I don't want to cause you to stumble because if you were to do that, you'd be violating your conscience which is always sin regardless. And he says, so you need to be willing to give up your rights. I, I think of this in terms of this whole mass controversy right now. Like I don't have a strong, uh, strong, you know, like a dog in the fight, yes or no against the mass. But have you ever thought that the willingness to wear a mask because other people around you might be afraid, even if you think it's unnecessary, that that might be an act of love, giving up your rights for them, even though you think they're wrong. You see, this is how the body of Christ works. We love one another, we accept one another. We don't wait till everyone lines up and gets it right in our opinion before we love and accept. In fact, Paul goes on and he says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Let me ask you something. When you first came to Jesus, did you have it all together? When you first came to Jesus, did you have all your doctrines straight? Did you have all your lifestyles straight? You're just kind of, just came in the kingdom like perfect, like, of course not. We came in messed up. We had all kinds of ideas that were wrong, and we still do. We're still growing, right? I hope you've changed some opinions in the last five years. Right? I have. I'm still growing. I'm still learning, right? There's things I'm getting better at today than before. And when we became Christians, we came to Jesus. He didn't say, hey, come back when you get your act together. He said, if you're willing to give your life, I'll accept you as you are now, and then we'll work on these things. And that is the model of the body of Christ. You know, we started today with a story about this life group that had this post-meeting, the meeting after the meeting. You know, they had this amazing Zoom time, prayer time, and so on. And then they finish up, and the, la the leader says, okay, hey, if you want to take off, that's fine. This is completely volunteer, but I want to have a discussion about covid do you think the government's being, you know, over, kind of overreaching their authority, being draconian? Or do you think it's appropriate? This is actually a true story. And it's a story from my group. So it was just a couple, a couple Wednesdays ago that uh, when I happened to be leading that, that night, Lynn and I co-lead with another couple. And we got, got to that point of the night, you know, I said, hey, I'd just like to have a discussion about COVID. Just to be clear, I don't have a dog in the fight. I'm not, there's no agenda here. I'm just curious how you're feeling about this tension that's happening in our culture. And one of the things I told them is before we entered into that, I said, hey, as we enter into this, let's remember we're Christians. And the mark of maturity is the ability to agree to disagree. 
we've got a very unique group. Like I said, it's 28 people. But on top of that, we've got two doctors, one who's working at times with COVID patients in the hospital. We've got three nurses. We've got three people who have already had COVID. Think of us as like ground zero for Rocky Peak. And so we've got a unique group. And my sense was, is we're going to have difference of opinions on this. I expected that. Like I said, some people are going to feel like the government has overreached. They're violating our our laws. They're violating our freedoms. They've gone too far. They're being draconian. And other people who would say, no, this is wise. It's good. It's appropriate. It's a time of emergency. I assumed that that would be the case. And you know, sure enough, it was the case. And can I tell you, it was a beautiful discussion. About 24 of the 28 people decided to stay, and it was a beautiful discussion as we shared our different experiences, our different perspectives. We learned from one another. We grew from one another. And the goal was not to come out all agreeing. The goal was just as a body of Christ to be able to discuss this with other believers that we know and love in a safe place. And it was an amazing time, and it's a model for our church, Rocky Peak, that if we cannot disagree on these issues, if if we cannot love one another while we disagree on these issues, it is a sign of our spiritual immaturity. We have got to grow up. We have got to rise up. We have to be a model of the world of how to have civil dialogue and honest disagreement seeking answers. This, as Paul says, accept one another so it brings praise to God. And when brothers and sisters love one another and are able to have honest conversations and respect one another, even though we have differences on these secondary issues, we are modeling the new community, the new society that God wants to bring, and we're being salt and light in the world. And so our third step is we need to love one another. The fourth step is we need to embrace new experiences. And you say, well, what do you mean? Well, here at Rocky Peak, that one of our top priorities is to create environments where you can experience God, where you can encounter God, where you can be transformed and grow and change. And one of our most important environments is our weekend service. I I don't know about you, but I love our weekend service. I would rather be in our weekend service than any other church I know. I love just being together with the body than just entering into worship and hear the praises going up and sensing the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, there's so many times when people come to our house for next step desserts and they say, when we ask them, why did you come the first time and why did you come back? And they, they'll describe it so many times. I don't know what it is, but when I came in and the music started, I began to cry. I'm not even a crier, but I began to cry. There's just a sense of the presence. And this is what we live for. It's what we long for, to be together, to enter into the presence, to hear the word taught, to have aha moments, to have those life-changing times, to reconnect with friends. I mean, this is just an amazing thing that happens here. You miss it, I miss it. It is not the same. We get that, right? But we're entering into a new era, And I think that many times when people say, we just need to open the doors and get back, 
My question is, have you really thought through what that will be like? Because as I shared before, that every state in the union that's opened up, and I'm sure California will be at least as aggressive with this, there are very strict requirements for opening up. I mean, you're gonna have lines to come in. They're gonna be six feet apart, right? We're gonna have to have masks, especially in a place where you're singing. That is the very worst thing you can do is being at a stadium yelling or in some kind of service singing. You're like an aerosol spraying out. So everyone would have to have masks. Then we would come in and we would have to practice social distancing. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this, but our worship center here, that it's designed to hold about a little bit less than 1,300 people. So like for the biggest service, like Easter, uh, Christmas Eve, we can get about almost 1,300 seats in here. And so this week, I asked our team, let's set up our worship center just like it was before COVID, kind of a normal setup for this time of year. And then let's mark off the seats. Let's figure out what six, six feet radius is, because that's be six feet to the sides, the back, and the front. And, uh, and so we did that. And you know what it turns out to be? That for every person in a seat, you need three empties between them. And then it has to be every other row filled going, going back. And so we did the math and figured it all out. And what this comes out to is if we had just single adults or people coming as one, the max we could put in this worship center right now is 170 people. Now that would grow a little bit if some people came as couples or whatever, then that, you might, that might work, you know, and it could be a little bit bigger, but it gives you an idea. So I want you to picture this. I want you to picture the worship center, right, with 170, maybe 200, or maybe even crazy, 250, spread throughout this entire worship center. Everyone's spread out. I want you to imagine what worship would be like. I want you to picture what it's like being in that spread. I mean, honestly, if you went to a church before pre-COVID, if you went to a church of our size and it looked like that, you would say, this is the deadest place in the world. I'm never coming back here. Now, for some of you, you may say, that doesn't really matter to me. I just want to be in the building. I get that. But I think for most of us, that's probably not the case. And so often we're talking about opening up and coming back. We're not really visualizing standing in a line six feet apart, coming in with assigned seating, and then being spread so far apart for worship and teaching. In fact, I actually went to our staff this week, to our communications staff, and I said, hey, would you do me a favor? Would you take a picture of our worship center And then would you put in at the appropriate spacing as I've described for you, would you kind of, would you Photoshop in people with masks just to give you a visual for this? And so they're gonna put it on the screen right now. I believe it's coming up right now. And I'm gonna leave it there for just a second. It's a little bit hard to follow simply because it's kind of a fisheye effect to get the whole worship center in. But I think you get a feel for this. And on top of this, that don't forget that we would probably would not be able to open up with kids ministry at all. Uh, you know, in the state of Tennessee, they don't only allow kids at this point in. I'm not sure what California's uh, requirements will be, but it's very diffi- difficult to do social distancing with kids. And so we, we would probably, this is one of the biggest issues at churches all across the nation, and we've been consulting. No one's doing kids ministry. 
It's just not possible to do this in a safe way. At least no one's figured it out yet. So I think what this means is that we're entering into a season where we need to be open to new experiences. What does it mean to be the church? And it's so important that we remind ourselves of something we've taught so many times over the years, that the church is not a building. The church is the people, the body of Christ, the new community of the resurrected king. And this is what I've told you for 15 years. We talk about life groups and I say, life groups is where real church happens. We take the big church and we break it down into small churches. This is where we love one another. This is where we challenge one another. This is where we bear each other's burdens. This is where we take it. This is where real church happens. You may not know this, but you know in the early church, for the first 300 years, actually more than 300 years, the early church didn't have buildings. They were illegal to have buildings. That they met in homes. Homes is where the church of Jesus grew and thrived and took over the Roman Empire. Homes is where God showed up. Homes is where God healed people. Homes is where the prayer took place and where the love took place and where the caring, it's where Christ was shared. And so during this season, we may need to be open to new paradigms of what it looks like to be the church. So I don't know exactly what the future holds. I can't tell you, well, this is when we're opening up or this is when we're coming back on campus. There's way too many variables. But I do believe this, that as we move forward, that for many of us, the best option to be the church is not gonna be here. That for many of you, the best option will be to continue to enjoy, to tune in to the live stream at home. Maybe you're, you, you're, uh, you're vulnerable, your, your body is vulnerable. Maybe you're older, and this will be the very best option. For some of us, as restrictions ease, we'll say, hey, the, the next best option is to gather with some friends at your house and to worship together, do the live stream together as a, as a church in your home. For others of you, the best option may be getting your life group together and celebrating and worshiping the Lord with live stream that way. For others, maybe you're not in a, you're in a life group and, and maybe what we'll do is create some house churches that you'll be able to go to every week and we'll be asking some of you to open your homes and let's set up a big screen TV and let's, let's create a house church. I don't really know. We are looking at all kinds of options right now. <clears throat> but what I know is that The future, the immediate future, will not be like the recent past. The time where we open up the church, bring in 700, 800, 900, 1,000 people at a time to worship side to side, breathing on each other, singing at the top of our lungs, that is not in the cards right away. It's just not gonna happen, right? So as as a church of Jesus, we need to be seeking him to what does it look like to follow you in this new season? And that leads to number five. Number five is going to sound very familiar because it's become sort of the unofficial motto of our church in a very organic way the last few years. And it's simply this. The fifth step is to listen and follow. You know, we are in a series called The Power of the Resurrection. And at the heart of this series was the very second message where we talked about the ascension of Jesus and what happened when Jesus ascended to the Father 
and in fulfillment of Psalm 110, that he was crowned king of creation and the father said, sit here until I make all your enemies a footstool. And we talked about this, that when Jesus returned, that he was crowned king of creation. And so the resurrection kicked off a whole new era, not just in the life of Jesus, but in the life of all creation and in our lives. And so for us as followers of Jesus, we're not just waiting for Jesus to come back, that the resurrected king is in our midst. He's in our midst leading, guiding, speaking, directing, empowering, right? That's what we celebrate. One of the things I've shared with you over the years, one of the core convictions of this church, one of our top leadership principles is that we believe that vision comes from the Lord. That it's not our job as a church or a leadership team to come up with a vision and then ask God to bless it that our job is to go before King Jesus, the ruler, the head of this church, and say, Jesus, what is your vision for Rocky Peak? We know you'll have a different vision for Shepherd. You'll have a different vision for Grace. You'll have a different vision for Discovery or Church on the Way. But what is your vision for Rocky Peak? And our job is not to create a vision and ask God to bless it. Our job is to receive a vision and carry it out. And we believe the resurrected king is with us and he is going to lead us. I was thinking this week, I feel very much right now like the nation of Israel, we've come out of Egypt, right? And we're in the wilderness. We don't know what the promised land's gonna be. We don't know what the future is going to be like. But what we know is right now we're in the wilderness and it's a hard time. And we get thirsty and we get sick of the manna and we wanna go back right? But God has something new, and he's got something fantastic for our future, and he's going to use his time to shape us. He's going to use his time to transform us. He's going to use his time to make us the people and the church he's called us to be. We're already seeing it in such powerful ways. Yes, it's a hard time, but God is with us. He has not forsaken us. Just like Israel, he led them by the fire, pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day, and he will lead us the same. And if you remember the nation of Israel, we're told that when the cloud would stop, the people would stop. And when the cloud would start, the people would start. And sometimes the cloud would stay for a few days, sometimes it would stay for a year. But their job was to keep their eyes on the king and to follow him, and that's our job too. And we believe King Jesus is with us, we believe he's going to lead us, he's gonna show us when and how to reopen, he's gonna show us how to do church in new and creative ways, he's gonna raise up new leaders, he's gonna raise up new homes, he's gonna expand the ministry as he's already doing. Then our job is to listen and follow. And so these are the five steps that I wanna share with you. I wish I had specific dates. This is the date, this is the plan. We don't have that, there's too much up in the air. We're in the wilderness, we're waiting for the cloud to move. And as it does, we will keep you up to date. But these are five steps that I know that we're gonna be taking in the coming, uh, coming weeks and months. Number one, we're gonna be choosing wisdom. We're gonna make wisdom our guide. However we move forward, we're gonna move forward with wisdom and intentionality because our first responsibility is to protect the safety of the flock. Number two, 
We're going to be seeking first the kingdom. We're going to be asking the question, what's the best way to advance the gospel as a church in this season? Number three, we're going to be loving one another. We're going to create an environment here where it's okay to disagree. We love and accept one another, even if we think the person is wrong. Number four, we're going to embrace new experiences. We're going to be open to new paradigms. We're going to say, God, this is not how we're used to doing church. It's not how we want to do church, but you've got us in the wilderness. So how do we do church in this season? And number five, as always, we will continue to listen and follow. And so I want to invite you to come with me on this journey. I know it's hard. I know it's easy. I want to be back. Trust me. I want to be back together in this place as much as any of you. This is a very hard season, but it is also a season where God is shaping us and God is calling us and God is speaking to us and he is drawing us close. And so I want to invite you to come with me on this journey that together as one body with one mind, we would be open to whatever Jesus wants to do. We would surrender to the knee and say, it's not my vision, it's not your vision, it's Jesus, your vision. We want to follow. And so I believe that as we do that, He will lead us to our promised land and this will be an amazing time where he prepares us now for the future that he has in store. Let's pray together. Father, we really are looking to you. We just confess, King Jesus, you are the king, you are the leader of this church. And we are bowing the knee and we are just so confident that you will lead us and you will guide us and you'll show us exactly how to open up and what the right time is. And until then, we will wait on you. We will not get ahead of the cloud. We will not get behind. We will follow you. Father, we pray you'd build an incredible church here that loves one another, that loves and accepts one another, that's gentle to all, that's courageous, that's willing to take a stand when the stand is needed but we're a a church that makes the gospel attractive to an outside world by the wisdom and the patience and the love and the care that we show for one another and for the community. We pray you'd lead us every step of the way, Father. We say our eyes are on you. Like King Jehoshaphat said, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And so we pray that you would come in the power of the Spirit, Lord. I pray that right now, right wherever people are at, whether it's a living room, it's a bedroom, they're watching on the beach, they're in a park, they're local here in Southern California, they're around the, the states, they're around the world. I pray that you would be speaking to them, your love, your affection, your security, your promise that you will lead us and guide us every step of the way. And so Lord, we are looking to you, our eyes are on you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.